You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you today. I was telling uh, those at the early service, I don't get to do this very often. It's been a while, actually, since I've got to share a message with you. It's kind of like when you're, you know, when you play sports and you don't play for like three months and then suddenly you jump in and it's like, whoa, what is going on? I don't know what's happening. So forgive me uh, for all of those things. We will make it through this together and hopefully uh, there won't be any surprises during communion (laughs) at this service. You'll, You'll get the joke later. Uh, Our scripture for today is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 22. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. God said, No, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son. And you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will bless him and make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of twelve princes. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most of you who know me reasonably well by now know that I am a huge soccer, or football as it's really called, fan. And as somebody who comes from England, born and raised, to give you some context... Soccer in England, I'll call it soccer, otherwise you won't know what I'm talking about. Soccer in England is more of a religion than religion is. <laughs> that makes sense, right? The whole church thing, not a big deal, but woo, my football team, we're going to gather on Monday morning, we're going to talk for two hours while the boss is having a meeting or something about what happened on Saturday when our team was playing, right? This, this is the culture in which I was born and raised. So for those of you who are diehard football fans, understand that us soccer fans are just as passionate, and we also fall with the rises and falls of our team. We also go with them, depending on how our team is doing. Since you asked, my favorite team is Liverpool, um, which is only really known for two things. The Beatles, you may have heard of, the, you're welcome, the Beatles, and also the football team, uh, soccer team that plays there. The club was founded in 1892. This is how deep our roots go when it comes to sport in England. And Liverpool is the most successful English team in history. Growing up, they were the patriots, if you will, of English football. We won the league championship 11 times over an 18-year span. 
From 1972 to 1990, they were the team. We won everything. And it was fantastic to watch a team have that level of success. The bad news is we haven't won it since. 29 years and counting. Sounds like the saints. Anyway, um, (laughs) 29 years. This year, we're currently top of the league with 12 games left out of a 38-game season. So there's about a third of the season left. We are top of the league. So if you would, during your prayer time, both this morning and during the week, if you would add to your list Liverpool Football Club, I would appreciate it. Fair enough? Okay, good. (laughs) One of the things that Liverpool Football Club is known for is a song called You'll Never Walk Alone. Now, some of you might have heard this song, although it's probably unlikely. It was made famous by a group called Jerry and the Pacemakers. Anybody heard of Jerry and the Pacemakers? A few of you. There were more at 830. They were like, oh, yeah. Um, So it was a song that was made popular by them in 1965. And it was adopted by Liverpool as their theme song, right? So as the players are walking out onto the field, imagine 55,000 passionate fans singing this song at the top of their lungs to give their team energy as they go out onto the field to prepare for the game. But this song took on a whole new meaning in 1989. Now, at the time, I don't know if you know much about the history of English football, probably not much, but there was a time when there was a lot of vandalism and hooliganism and those kinds of things that had made their way into the game. And so fans often would get into fights and those kinds of things. And it was a a dark time for the sport in general. And so part of the solution to that problem was a lot of the stadiums, especially the bigger ones, they would put, put up metal fencing around the field to stop fans from getting onto the field. It makes sense. It's a security issue. Let's put up fences. Now, the problem was... At one particular game in 1989 in which Liverpool was playing, there was one section of the stadium that somehow, and they've been investigating this for 30 years now and they still don't really know how, had been filled to more than capacity. There were a lot more people in that section than there ever should have been. Now imagine what happens when you're in an enclosed space and more and more people are coming from the back and adding to your number Those people at the front, all of a sudden, are getting pushed further and further, and there's nowhere to go. About ten minutes into this game, it was obvious that something was not right. There were fans on the field. The players noticed something was weird. The referee noticed something wasn't right. And so he took the players off the field until they could figure out what was going on. And then they noticed more fans jumping onto the field, running down to this particular area of the stadium and trying to lift people over these barriers. And then ambulances started driving onto the field to try to help. Ninety-six people died during that game on live television. I was about 14 at the time. And I can still remember watching, it was a big game, I can still remember sitting there, just jaw dropped, what is happening? 
This game that I love, this team that I love, all of a sudden, who cares about the team and who wins and what's happening? There are people dying. There are people hurting. And all of a sudden, as humanity usually does, tries to jump in and do everything it can to help. That song, You'll Never Walk Alone, took on a whole new meaning in that moment. And that anthem that is still sung before every home game to this day, not only inspires the players because it talks about hope and not walking alone and the fans, we're all in this together, but it's also now marked in history of a moment that these families and these fans will never forget. The team actually on their uniforms has, you'll never walk alone, embroidered into their jersey as a reminder that sometimes there are more important things in life than a game. When we think about this story of Abraham, if we backtrack just a little bit, in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to pack up and go to a land that he will show him, that he'll make of him a great nation, he'll bless him. You've heard this story before. And so Abraham goes, no questions asked, at the age of 75, (laughs) packs up and goes. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarai is unable to have children with Abram, so she gives their slave Hagar so that Abram might have a child, which is Ishmael. He's 86 when this happens. And then when Abram is told that this new covenant will be made with God through him, he falls on his face before God, a posture of submission, humility, and obedience. But now, at 99 years old, Abraham laughs at the very idea that Sarah will give him a child. Now, to really understand this story, we also need to be aware of the significance that names have in Scripture. You'll notice in the story we read that Sarai becomes Sarah, Abram becomes Abraham. Names are important, especially in the Hebrew language. The name Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. See what happens? His identity changes. But let's go a little further because I took one semester of Hebrew. In the Hebrew alphabet, there is one letter that is added to Abram to become Abraham. It's the letter in Hebrew, which sounds an awful lot like a breath. And so biblical scholars look at this changing of names and they go, well, it sounds to me like God is adding his breath. He's adding his spirit to Sarah and Abraham so that they might be reminded that they will be exceedingly more fruitful because of this blessing from God. If you think about other names in scripture that have been changed, Jacob becomes Israel. Peter is changed to Cephas, this rock on which the church will be built. Saul becomes Paul, and I could preach an entire sermon on that one. The name Saul is a Hebrew name, which means asked or prayed for. The name Paul, or Paulos, as it would have been in Greek, means humble. So if you think about this transition that Saul, this Jewish Pharisee, this leader of leaders, the greatest of greatest who also persecuted Christians asked for and prayed for, becomes Paul, Paulos, humble, because of his encounter with Christ. 
on the Damascus Road. His identity changes. So anytime we see the change of name, we should immediately go, what is really happening here? Sarah, Abraham, Jacob, Peter, Paul, and others. They all undergo a great spiritual transformation during their lives. They all have seasons of great joy and seasons of success and seasons where they're lifted up by the biblical writers, but they also have seasons where life is difficult, times of loss, they make mistakes, they have fear and anxiety, just like us. We also experience the good and the joy, but we also experience the hardships and the pain and the anxiety that some of these great people in history have also experienced. But there's one thing they all have in common. Their identity does not ever change. They are children of God, and they will always be children of God. That will never change. So for those of you who are diehard Saints fans, regardless of what might have happened a month or so ago, too soon, whatever might have happened, you'll get over it. You'll be a fan next year, 10 years from now. They'll do better. Maybe not but you'll still be a fan. You'll still be there. That'll still be part of who you are. Same for me with my beloved Liverpool. It might be 29 years. It might be 49 years. I hope not. You're praying, right? I hope not. But it's part of who we are. Better days will come. As we approach this season of Lent in just a couple of weeks, It's a season of transformation as we prepare our hearts and our minds to hear again the Easter story. And one question that I get asked probably more than any other during Lent and Ash Wednesday and we start talking about those things is, well, why is it 40 days? Like, where did that come from? Is that even biblical? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, it is. Think about Noah and the 40 days and 40 nights of rain during the flood. Think about the Israelites and their 40 years walking in the wilderness before they could enter the promised land. Think about Jesus and his 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan before he began his public ministry. Think about the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and him ascending to go be the Father the day of Pentecost, also 40 days. The number 40, unless I'm just really just making stuff up, the number 40 is really significant in each one of those cases. It's a season of transformation. It's a season of change. It's a season that bridges the gap between one thing and another. Whether it's 40 days or 40 years or 40 weeks, it doesn't really matter. That number 40 symbolizes transformation from one thing to another. Hence why Lent is 40 days. And it ought to be for us a season of transformation and preparation as we approach Easter. Otherwise, we just hear the story that we've heard a thousand times before, and it doesn't really do anything for us. Heard it. Been there. Easter Sunday. Let's go get some eggs, right? It ought to be much more than that. But we have to prepare ourselves for it. And so this year, I have put together a 40-day devotional based on the Gospel of John, which I love the Gospel of John here lately, called Whose Sign Is It Anyway? You might have heard the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway? Well, it's a play on words. Whose Sign Is It Anyway? Because the Gospel of John has all these signs in it, turning water into wine, walking on water, all these different things we talk about, that point us to something far greater. 
And at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, he even tells us, in case we missed it, the reason why he writes these things. I have shown you these signs, and there are many others that I have not shown you, but I've shown you these so you might come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Fairly simple, but I love John's Gospel. So you'll have the opportunity both on Facebook, and I'll have hard copies next Sunday, to get one of these devotional books. It's really short, take you two or three minutes each day, just to read a scripture, read a few thoughts that I have, and then there's an action step for each day to go do something with what we've read. So I invite you to go a little deeper this year than just giving up chocolate or coffee or whatever it might be, unless those things really are transformational for you, which they might be. But I invite you to go a little deeper. You might have noticed that the church, especially the United Methodist Church, is going through a season of transformation. Throughout history, the church universal has struggled with different issues and wrestled with all kinds of different things. And generally speaking, it's a good thing. We ought to wrestle with these things instead of deciding 600 years ago that this is true and never asking any questions. It's okay to ask questions. And so this weekend, the delegates from around the world are gathered in St. Louis to wrestle with one of those issues. And it's nothing new. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last time. It's a good thing that we wrestle with these issues. Individually, we wrestle with all kinds of issues as we go through life. Some of us come here this morning in a season of joy. Life is just so good, you can't stand it. Smile on your face, life couldn't be better. And some of us come to this place with heavy hearts. Life is not good. We've experienced loss or pain or anxiety or fear or whatever might be going on in our lives. And we're here anyway, trying to find some sense of peace or comfort. And then there are those of us who come here and we just fake it till we make it, smile on our faces. Nobody will ever know that anything is ever wrong. That's okay. But I hope no matter what's going on in the life of the church, whatever's going on in your life, however difficult it might be, that this will always be a place where you feel loved and accepted, that you can feel a sense of peace and comfort in whatever life might throw at you. The question we have to ask when we think about this story of Abraham and Sarah is, how do we respond when life happens? How do we respond when we make a mistake? We all do it. How do we respond to it? What happens when God chooses us for something? Be it volunteering our time out in the community, be it doing something here at church, whatever it might be, God is constantly calling us to do things with our life. How do we respond? Do we say, oh yeah, I got it, I'll give another hour of my time, no problem. Is our first response to go, I just don't have time to do anything? Sorry, God, can't do it. Or like Abraham, do we just laugh? Like, that's not even possible. You've got the wrong person. You can't do that. Not not with me. How do we respond? Do we do like Abraham? Do we fall on our knees in humility and obedience and say yes? Are we more like Jesus where we really wrestle with it and we fall to our knees and we go, you know, if there's any way you can take this from me, that would be fantastic. All right, not my will, 
but yours. The prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or do we just laugh? God can't use me. I am beyond God's reach. God can't do anything with me. And I hope that's not true for any of us. We do well to remember as a church and as individuals that God's middle name is Surprise. And I hope you've learned that about God by now. God has a tendency to show up in the most least likely of places at the most inopportune time and ask us to do something when we least expect it. Whatever season of life you might be going through, trust that God knows what God is doing. It might be difficult, but God is doing this for a reason and will use all things. However we might see them, however difficult they might appear to us, all things will be used by God for his good and for his glory. Our songs of joy and hope that we might have during those seasons might take on a new meaning when we walk through the valley, when life is not so good. But what's important to remember is that our song doesn't change, and it shouldn't change. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of a storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. Or as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ever ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church, And in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God of infinite grace and mercy, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that wherever we might be in life, whether we are experiencing great joy or great sadness, whether we're sitting on top of the mountain and nothing could be better, or whether we are hiking through the valley that seems to never end. I pray that you be with us as we try our best to put one foot in front of the other. And even that sometimes can seem an impossible task. So for those times that we find ourselves paralyzed, that we just can't move anymore. That's when you carry us. That's when you lift us up and you take us where we need to be because you are always capable of far exceedingly more than we can ever imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.